0: And Good morning, good morning to those of you in the room, good morning to those of you online. We are so glad that you are worshiping with us right now. As I begin this morning, I actually want to do something I probably have never done before. I'm going to share a journal entry from another pastor. I came across this uh, in the last few months, and as I was praying for this message, it just came back to mind, and, and I felt uh, that this would be helpful, perhaps, to some of you. It was written on a Monday morning. And that's significant because for pastors, Monday mornings can be kind of rough sometimes. We don't tend to replay our highlight reel. We, we tend to replay everything that we wished had gone just a little different or had come out a little different or we wished we would have said in that conversation or in that moment. And, and we tend to be more susceptible to discouragement or to frustration in those moments than at any other time. And so Monday mornings can be kind of rough. And maybe you have a Monday morning experience in your weekly rhythm where you're just a little more apt to be down or to be discouraged. Maybe it comes at a different time during the week, but for similar reasons. And so this is what a pastor that all of you would probably recognize the name, um, wrote on a Monday morning once. He said, now I reflect back on yesterday, the bittersweetness of each Sunday, the energy and sense of reality, and the hurt of so many absences why isn't everyone there why isn't the sanctuary full on Sunday morning if worship is as good as people say it is if I preach this well if the community is flourishing why aren't more people pulled in more people faithful this is a deepening hurt and sorrow I feel the personal rejection but also the God rejection it is not me they are being so feckless with but God do they have any idea what they're missing? What a poor trade they're making. Now that was written by Eugene Peterson, who is known around the world now as the translator of the message translation of Scripture. But before he undertook that monumental task, he was a pastor for 30 years in one church outside of Washington, D.C. And while I resonate with many of the things he shares, it's interesting as I look at my own journey over 15 years of ministry, when I used to feel more the hurt and the personal rejection, now I feel the sorrow over the God rejection than the culture and even within the church. How many people find other things to do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or in service to their community? And my burden is those last two questions, do they have any idea what they're missing? I want people to have what is available in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want people to have more than just salvation and their tickets punched for heaven, but a vibrant relationship with Christ here and now, every day, that carries you through life's troubles and life's struggles, that carries you through your own Monday mornings with peace and with hope And so I share that with you as we begin this morning, because today's message, as we finish up the series titled Kingdom Power, today's message is titled, Patience is Powerful. Patience is Powerful. We're going to see that from a passage in this letter that Paul has written to Timothy, to his son in the faith. And we've been looking at something from each chapter that continues or furthers our theme of unleashing kingdom power in our lives, that there is power available to us in the kingdom of God. And if we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that power is available to us. Yet for many of us, it's on a leash, so to speak. It's in a drawer. It's relegated to something for super spiritual people. And yet the reality is that it's available to us if we are in Christ, if we are in the kingdom of God, it's available to us. And so by way of reminder and just kind of wrapping things up in this series, at the beginning of the series, I encourage you to pick one of four levels of engagement. And so now is time to say, how did you do? Did you pick a level of engagement? And if so, how did you do with the level of engagement that you chose? The first one was to commit to attend or to watch all four weeks. I know many of you have done that. If that was your level of engagement, then thumbs up from the pastor. You did it. And if that was a stretch for you, if that was a step of faith for you to make that commitment and you followed through on it, then two thumbs up, because that is how we grow, by taking a step, making a commitment, and making good on it. Second level was to read and to pray and to study through a chapter of 2 Timothy each week, typically the one after. So maybe you haven't finished that for 2 Timothy chapter 4 yet, but you're on track. And if you've done that, I know you've been blessed and it's unleashed kingdom power in your life because that's the way God's Word works. When we go back to it and when we study it and we look deeper into it and we ask God to apply it to our lives, He shows us. He shows us where we can respond in faith. The third one was to memorize 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which Pastor Ryan preached on last week. I, I, I actually picked chapter, or I picked level 4. So I'm going to do that for you now and just encourage you that, that you can do this. In the midst of everything else, you can do this. And so 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, For this very reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is a power-packed passage. You memorize that and you have that on the tip of your tongue. When fear presents itself, you have kingdom power to face that fear and overcome that fear. And then last week, Pastor Ryan preached on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which says, all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting, for rebuking, for teaching and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's a powerful passage. That drives us into God's word. That reminds us that we need to be taught, and we need to be trained, and we need to be rebuked sometimes, and we need to be corrected sometimes, so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And now the fourth level was to have at least one conversation with at least one person about what you've been learning as you've done these other things. So if you committed to level four, you've done all of level one, two, and three, and you had a conversation with somebody. How did you do? And it's not too late. Like, the next series doesn't start until a week from today. So you still have some time. You still have some time to to finish memorizing a passage or to have a conversation or to study one or two of those chapters if you need to or to go and watch a message online. You still have some time. But last week, Pastor Ryan preached that the Word of God is powerful. And he focused on that passage of Scripture from chapter 3 that I just recited. And I am so grateful. As As I watched him preach, I was so grateful that That Linwood is a church that is committed to developing the next generation of pastors. That we're committed to providing a, a place with a safety net to learn and grow in ministry. And it was awesome to see him preach that. And I was particularly appreciative of how he explored the power of God's word in each of those four areas. Because we need each of those areas in our lives, throughout our lives, at different times and for different reasons. And I was also reminded as he shared that of of something that Willow Creek Church did about 15 years ago. They commissioned a study titled The Reveal Study, and they started in their own congregation, and they wanted to find out what are the things that we're doing as a church that are actually helping people grow with the different programs, the different things that they can be a part of, the different ministries that they can be a part of. So they asked people, what are they doing and how are they growing? And do you know what they found was the number one thing that caused people to grow spiritually? It was daily reflection On Scripture and prayer. The Word and prayer. That was it. And they were a little surprised and thought, well, maybe this is just Willow Creek. So they opened it up and they invited other churches to do the same thing. And over 500,000 believers ended up taking that survey and it was confirmed over and over and over again. In every region, in every type of church, from the Reformed theology to the the Wesleyan-Arminian theology, from the Charismatic, the Deep South, the Upper Northeast, Everywhere you go, the Word and prayer are the greatest catalyst for spiritual growth. So much so that if you're doing that and you're not doing anything else, you're growing. (laughs) And if you're doing everything else but you're not doing that, you're probably not growing. It was that strong of a connection. And so that's why we talk about this all the time. That's why I talk about it. It drives my personal conviction to constantly encourage Bible engagement. And it's so fun to see the light come on for people. When they really start reading the word and interacting, engaging with it on a regular basis and they're journaling and they're meeting with people and they're talking about it and they're growing in the word. It's like they can't get enough of it. And I want that for everybody. So that's why I keep talking about that. Now, today's message, as I mentioned earlier, is that patience is powerful. You might say, well, what's the connection? Well, you'll see it, and it's a powerful connection when we get into 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to turn there in one of the blue hardcover Bibles in the seats in front of you, you can grab one of those, turn to page 1855. That's going to be our primary passage. We'll look a little bit before it uh, in a couple of spaces as well. But it's part of a broader section that starts in chapter 3, around verse 10, that some... Bibles will head out as, as dealing with false teachers, or, um, or the NIV calls it Paul's charge to Timothy. And it is a solemn charge. And if you've ever been to an ordination service, you probably heard 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5, That when men and women are ordained for ministry, this is often the subject. Because Paul is giving this charge to Timothy. And I couldn't help but be reminded of my ordination service. It was a little interesting to me to notice that two weeks ago, I preached a message on how remembering was powerful. And it was on the five-year anniversary of my call to Linwood Church. So exactly five years had passed. And when I looked up a couple of pictures from my own ordination service, I found that it was exactly 10 years ago, 10 years ago Thursday, that I was ordained and commissioned for ministry. And so this is Pastor John Spear standing, giving me my charge, my call to ministry on that stage as he commissioned me, as he ordained me along with others. And this picture is powerful to me because it shows a mentor and a discipler that I could look up to and hold in high regard and model my own ministry after. But this next picture shows a friend and a spiritual father that I could embrace and be embraced by. And I believe we need both if we're going to make it in life and if we're going to make it in ministry. So maybe you have somebody that's coming to mind right now as that discipler, mentor, friend, and spiritual father. And if so, I hope you'll reach out to them today and tell them the difference that they've made in your life. And if you don't, I hope you'll choose to be that for someone else. I hope you'll choose to come alongside somebody and disciple them and mentor them, but also to be close and accessible to them and be a friend to them and to grow in your faith to the point that you can do that. And so as we begin, before we start into 2 Timothy chapter 4, we really kind of have to look at where this passage begins, and that's back in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. There are 10 exhortations, 10 things that Paul tells Timothy he needs to do starting in chapter 3, verse 14. So we're going to look at that. These are all part of Paul's charge to Timothy. The other nine come in the passage that's our primary passage today. So in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he's just been talking about false teachers, and he's contrasting how Timothy is going to do his ministry over and against these false teachers. And he says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's verse 14 and 15. Immediately following that is verse 16 and 17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Right? The passage we looked at last week. So that's the first exhortation, is to continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. And so that's his first exhortation to Timothy. And with that in mind, now let's dive into 2 Timothy chapter Four verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll walk through it verse by verse. I want you to hear it all at once. He says, "...in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction." For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so in verse 1 here, Paul is really laying it out. He's invoking God and Jesus. He's invoking the, the final judgment. And he's invoking the kingdom of God. So he is, he is taking this very seriously. He is saying, this is a really big deal. This is not something to be taken lightly. This is not something to be taken flippantly. Or as Eugene Peterson would say, fecklessly. How many of you, show of hands, had ever used the word feckless in your life? That was a new one for me. So don't, you're not, you're, you're in good company. I had to look it up. I knew how it was used in context, but that's not a that's not a top of the top of the tongue uh, word for me. And Paul really only talks like this in First and Second Timothy. If you read all the rest, he, he he's not this personal. He's not this solemn. And this there's a there's a weight to what he's saying. It's very personal, and yet I think it's a little bit of a tragedy that these verses are almost only preached at ordination services, as if this was something that's just for pastors in full-time ministry. Because Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 that we are, all of us, the church, all of you are the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen and belonging to God. It's all of us. We are all the royal priesthood. Priests speak on behalf of God to people and on behalf of people to God. And so he's speaking to all of us when he says these words that come in the next verse. In verse two, the charge begins with five more exhortations that are added to the one that he started in chapter three, verse 14. So the first one that we see here right at the beginning of chapter two is preach the word. It points back to all scripture is God breathed that he just said in verse 16 and 17. He's saying, proclaim it, preach it, herald it. Do it publicly with conviction and persuasion. Do it both evangelistically to proclaim the good news to people who have never heard it, and also in the context of discipleship. That we would learn to rely on the gospel, the good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to redeem us from sin that would separate us from God forever and has ushered us into the kingdom of God, into the family of God, where we will live forever in the presence of God. That's good news. We got to proclaim that. We got to preach that, all of us, not just the person on the stage. That's good news for everyone in your life. We all have to be preaching the word. The next one is to be prepared in season and out of season. Now, that's a strange phrasing maybe, not one that you're familiar with. And I would just sort of relate that to be be ready, be prepared, whether it's convenient or not. Whether the conditions are perfect or not, be ready another place, I think it's in Colossians, he says, always be ready to give an account for the hope that you have, which means that we're living with so much hope that people would ask, what's going on with all the hope? And we would be prepared to say, it's from Jesus, and it's available to us regardless of our circumstances. So he's saying, be prepared in season and out of season. Be like a palm tree. In Psalm 92, 12, it says that the righteous shall be like palm trees, which you might think, well, that's interesting, until you start to think about what's unique about palm trees, that Palm trees can make it through the severest drought. And it's also interesting to me that when a hurricane comes through and levels a beach, what's the only thing standing? The palm trees, right? The man-made structures can be demolished, and a palm tree will still be standing. And this, the reason is the same for both, that they can, they're drought-resistant because they have a tap root that goes way down. Some, some palm trees go twice as far into the sand as they go up into the air. And they're flexible. The righteous will be flexible. So when the winds of life are blowing you around, you don't lose your bearings, you don't lose your moorings because you've gone so deep into God's Word that you can flex and you can bend and you can still stand and you can still bear fruit. Palm trees bear their coconut fruit. Like Jeremiah seventeen eight says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by a stream. It does not wither or cease to bear fruit. So we should be faithful. We should be prepared in season and out of season. Now, the the next three come in rapid fire in the second half of verse 2. That we're told that we would correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, correct and rebuke were in the list of the things that Scripture is profitable for just a few verses back. And so we can use Scripture to do that, and we can use our personal testimony to do that, to correct people when they're wrong, to rebuke people when they're wrong, but also to encourage people. To encourage means to come alongside with courage and strength, to to come alongside someone who is discouraged and bring courage, to come alongside someone who is weary and bring strength that helps them move forward. And it's interesting, if you've ever studied the Holy Spirit, the, the Greek word that is translated for the Holy Spirit in several places in Scripture is the paraclete. How many of you ever heard the Holy Spirit referred to as the paraclete? A number of hands go up. Well, there's a verb form of paraclete that's used here for encourage. And it just means basically be the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. Come alongside them, be the hands and feet of Jesus in their life. Encourage them, strengthen them, comfort them, give them wise counsel. Do those things be a tangible, physical manifestation of God's grace in their life? But don't miss this. All five of these, to preach the word, to be prepared in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke, and encourage, all five of them are to be done with great patience and careful instruction. That's added at the end there of verse 2. And I'll be honest with you, I've always paid more attention to what I'm supposed to do as a pastor in this verse than how I'm supposed to do it. And it was the last time through this passage where that word patience jumped off the, the page. And I thought, okay, is patience referring to encouragement, or is patience referring to those last three, or is patience referring to all five? And so I did some digging, and I did some work, and I looked at the, the words and the verb tenses, and I found a really smart guy. He was so smart that he, he just initialed his first name. You know, that, like, that's a pretty big deal when you just initial your first name. His name is not Glenn Henson, it's E. Glenn Henson, right? And he just laid it out perfectly clear. The whole ministry, Paul is saying the whole ministry is to be done with complete patience and care in teaching. And how each of those exhortations that we're supposed to do, to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke, and encourage, all of those are to be done with complete patience and careful instruction. That's why patience is powerful. Patience is essential to the work of ministry. Because you'll have your Monday morning experiences, you'll have those moments where you preach your heart out on something like baptism, and you hold a baptism class, and you're the only one that shows up. That'll happen. Something like that will happen in your ministry. You'll invite somebody and they'll say no. You'll invite them again and they'll say no. You'll invite them again and they'll say no. Or you'll pray for somebody for years and years and years. And see no change whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, you'll see the change. Was it the magic prayer that you prayed right before that? Or was it the faithfulness that preceded it? We have to be patient in the work of ministry. We have to be patient. We have to have long passion. That's what that word means. It's the Greek word macrothemia that we translate as patience. It's actually two words. The Greek language does this a lot. They take two words and they smash them together. And so, macro means long, and themia means passion or suffering. I like passion because I think we have to have a long passion. We have to maintain and sustain our passion for Jesus for the long term, not just in the short term, for the long term. And I can't tell you how encouraging that was to me. As I read definitions of macrothemia, of patience, I saw two main themes. The first one has something to do with this, the waiting sufficient time before expressing anger. This avoids the premature use of force or retribution that arises out of improper anger, which is a personal reaction. You need that in ministry, let me tell you what. The more you put yourself out there for Christ, there's going to be people that stand in resistance to you. You better have some long passion. You better be able to hold your tongue sometimes and not say the first thing that comes to mind or the second, right? But the second definition, I really like this as well. It contrasted long-tempered or long-passion with short-tempered. Now, we don't really use the term long-tempered. We don't say, oh, they're so long-tempered. We say they're patient. But what's the opposite of patience? Short-tempered, right? Little fuse, big bomb. Anybody know somebody? Don't look at them. (laughs) Don't look at them. But you probably know somebody who's short-tempered. And yet Paul is telling Timothy and he's telling us to be long-tempered which is a quality of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Did you know patience is a fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, when Paul is telling the church at Galatia, don't live by the flesh, which does all of these sins in verses 19 through 21. He says, no, 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 no. You're going to be different. You're going to bear a different kind of fruit. It's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, macrothemia, long-suffering. And the other five. And that's why patience, that's why long passion is so critical. It's indispensable. It's indispensable on Monday mornings in life and in ministry. And now he concludes this passage, and I know we're running out of time here. But he concludes this passage by explaining why these exhortations matter so much. He says in verse 3, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. Now, he's pointing back to the false teachers that he talked about in chapter 3. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, holy, unholy. Sorry, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like a trip through social media or the 5 o'clock news? It does to me. And that haunting phrase, people won't put up with sound doctrine from chapter 4, verse 3. They'll just leave. And as wonderful as the internet has been for spreading the gospel, it has been equally useful to the enemy in spreading false teaching. All you need is five minutes in a Google search, and you can pick a sin and find somebody telling you that sin's really okay. And here's why. And then if you want to find another one, you can find another one. There are all kinds of people out there spreading all kinds of false teaching, and it's compounded by the lack of biblical literacy in the church. We follow after this false teaching because we don't know what the Word says. That's why you have to read it every single day. You have to know what the Word says. So that, so that, while many are rejecting the truth, they'll find the truth from you. You can speak against the. The mistruth you can speak against the people that are turning from the truth and embracing myths and that's why one of our core values is centering our lives on the word the word matters the word is powerful if it's in you it can be in the world through you now verse five concludes with five or four more exhortations to bring a total of ten The first one is to keep your head, to be sober-minded. I think that points to that first definition that we had of patience. Don't express anger right away. Don't use force right away. Be patient. Keep your head. And then he continues, endure hardship. That's been a theme of the whole letter. Do the work of an evangelist that's spreading the good news. And last but certainly not least, he says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. The ESV translates that, fulfill your ministry. And so it's not like a checklist. Okay, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. He's saying, finish the race. Stay the course. Don't give up. Don't give up. Complete it. Carry it out. Satisfy it fully. Stay with it to the end. That's what he's saying to Timothy. And Paul could say it because he'd done it. He finished the race. He ran the good Race. He fought the good fight. And so, our bottom line today is that patience paves the way for breakthroughs. Patience paves the way for breakthroughs. And patience is powerful because it paves the way for breakthroughs we'd never see without it. We'd give up too early. If you just have short passion, where you get all fired up and you go out and you try and it doesn't work and you quit. You miss a breakthrough that would come if you had long passion and you kept going and you kept inviting and you kept praying and you kept giving and you kept serving and you kept encouraging and you finished the work and you kept watching for the breakthrough. I've heard a number of people say something to the effect of, we seriously underestimate, I'm sorry, we seriously overestimate what God will do in the short term and we underestimate what God can do in the long term. We overestimate what God can do with that moment of conviction where we respond and we say a prayer. And we underestimate what he can do in the long term, a life of faithfulness. We overestimate what he can do in that invitation or that time that we serve or that time that we give. And we underestimate what he can do through a lifetime of faithful giving and faithful serving and faithful praying and faithful inviting We need patience. Patience is powerful. Patience paves the way for breakthroughs. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for your word that is so powerful, and we're so thankful for the patience that is a fruit of your spirit that is so powerful in us and through us as we do the work that you have called us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that we will respond in faith to the word that has been spoken through your spirit, giving Wisdom and application to us. If we need to respond in faith to the good news of the gospel, as as Pastor Keith laid that out so beautifully in communion, of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. If there's one who's hearing these words that needs to respond in faith, then I pray today will be the day of salvation. For those of us who who are in the family of God, who have stepped into a relationship with Christ, who have a personal mission field and a ministry that you've called us to do, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would discharge all of our duties, that we would be patient, have long passion, and bear much fruit for your kingdom. Help us, oh God, to know what that looks like today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.